It's a great day to be alive, amen? amen? Mark, can I get you to turn this down just a little bit? Great day to be alive, to be able to hear what God is going to be saying to us. It's a delight to have all of you here. I want to also welcome those who are watching or listening off-site. We have a large number of people who are doing that, and uh, we want you to feel welcome And uh, in that sense. So if you want to take your Bibles, we're going to be looking uh, today at a, well, actually a lot of verses, but if you can start by looking at Matthew chapter 27, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 31, but there's, if you'll notice in your Bible, there is a lot of different uh, verses that are going to be involved. So if you just kind of keep that in your mind, don't focus just on one particular place. April 3rds, almost a little over a month ago, April 3rds, ABC report uh, reported that the new inspector generals discovered out of a billion dollars that taxpayers had been given or had given to those who lost their homes in Katrina out of one billion dollars. $700 million of that suddenly, mysteriously disappeared. Did any of you catch that news? It was sort of like, that's, that's over two-thirds. It just it disappeared. Actually, we, we see that and we think about government or whatever the case is, but you know what? That happens not just in government. The reality is the travesty of justice is as old as humanity and it is equally widespread. It's there everywhere. In fact, I'm reminded of what the prophet Isaiah said. And he said that truth stumbles in the public square and honesty finds no place there. That's sad. That's way back in Isaiah's day. That He was making a statement then. The reality is all of us have faced some sense or some part of injustice or what we feel to be injustice. Some of you perhaps, and I've talked to a lot of people in these kind of things, especially when it comes times for inheritances that are uh, dissed out. I find a lot of people say, well, my parents, my dad, my mom, they showed my brother or my sister or some cousin or whatever uh, partiality. They, I didn't get treated fairly. Some of you maybe have felt that. I know that many have. Our nation has struggled with, in fact, the whole issue of racial injustice for decades. It's not just been in one time. It seems like it shows up in many places. I think, for example, of those, I feel so badly about this. It's something that's it's sad about what happened in our nation. But those who went to the Vietnam War came back after having risked their life, after seeing so much, after having been so affected, they came back home and they had people spit in their face because they had been fighting in a war that they thought was unjust. That's sad. You see, it seems like there's injustice all around. And here's the strange part. It seems as though when we see it, we scream out, Unfair, especially when it happens to us. On the other hand, if we find ourselves maybe doing something that's not quite just, you know what we do? We excuse it then, don't we? We justify ourselves. It looks different when we are the ones who may be doing it. Now, here's the thing I want us to address today. How is it 
that we are to live like Jesus in such an unfair environment. How do we do that? Because it seems like we can't really do it. It's, we live in a very uh, mixed up, unfair world. Now, in our last episode of what the Bible really says about Jesus' last 24 hours, I believe that you're going to see how God marches on un, with, with, uh, without wavering, without being distracted at all. He marches on to fulfill his incredible righteous plans regardless, in spite of all of the injustice on this earth. His truth marches on. Amen? And can you say praise God for that? I was actually in awe as I was preparing this sermon. It just, I was in awe again. As I just was able to see Christ in his love, his integrity, his character. When, you, when I saw him and all of that, it seemed like it was like a diamond with a backdrop of black velvet. It was stunningly standing out in the face, that black velvet being all the unfair treatment that he was dealt out. It was like, whoa. And it's my prayer that you will begin to sense that today as you just think about what Jesus went through, the unfairness, and yet his incredible incredible character in it all. Today's episode, as I mentioned earlier, is found in all four of the first uh, books of the New Testament called the Gospels. And it, to save time, we've uh, it's in your notes, in your bulletin. I think it's also on the screen as to what those uh, places are in your Bible so that you can read them for yourself. We're trying to find out what does the Bible really say, not what someone else says about it, but what does the Bible really say? You can look it up for yourself. Now, what I've done, uh, because to read all of those to you would take a lot of time, what I've done is tried to take a few insights from each of the Gospels so that you can see Jesus walking through that cesspool of decadent injustice. As you see that, I believe it's going to have an effect on you. And I ask you, I urge you to let your heart, let what's going on inside to be open to saying, God, what are you saying? For those of you who don't know what that means, that means think a little deeper than your head. What are you sensing inside? What is really being said to you on the inside? Now, in recent weeks, we've been looking and, and different episodes. One is when we find Jesus, who he was praying in the garden. And then we looked at an episode when he was arrested there in the garden. And then we, we were looking at how last week, as Pastor Jeff led us in looking at how Jesus was rejected by his peers and the authority in his life. But then we look at all the illegal trials, the one that he was talking about last time, the trial of the Jewish people for him. It was that... The trial that he went through with them was so bad that even though the paid witnesses that they hired to try to get Jesus condemned, they couldn't even agree. And it was sort of like, what in the world? And yet they came back with that guilty and death judgment. Today we're going to be looking at not the Jewish judgment. We're going to be looking at the injustice that is seen by the Roman courts. 
And in this, you're going to see, and I believe very clearly, hopefully, that not any of man's corruptions, not you put it all together, nothing could stop God's holy plan to make sure that you and I could be born again and changed from the inside out. God's truth marches on. Now, I'm sure that some of you have friends or maybe some of you yourself have faced injustice. And maybe you've even felt that God treated you unjustly in some situation. You couldn't understand it. But especially in the courtroom or whatever, you felt you were treated unjustly as Jesus did. What I'd like you to do is help relate to that, but also find hope in God in how his truth will prevail and it's worth it. First thing I want us to look at in that sense is how money blinded Judas to justice. I'm reminded of what the scripture says in 1 Timothy 6. It says the love of money. It's not the money. It's the what? Love of money that's the root of all kinds of evils. He says it's through this. What's the next word? Craving. Through this craving that some have wandered away from the truth and have pierced themselves with many things. Money blinds our judgment. Judas, think about this. Judas was among those people who, in fact, walked with Jesus. He fed the multitude. He saw the fish be multiplied, the bread be multiplied in his own hands. He saw those things. And in fact, when he went on his mission trip, as we can relate, when he went on his mission trip, he came back telling about the signs and wonders that he had, in fact, seen happen when he prayed for people. You see, there was a lot of things we don't really put into perspective. He was one of those. And I really believe in my mind and my heart. I, I doubt very much that the craving for money that he had was any greater than many of us and perhaps all of us experience today. I know that we think, well, there's some people that crave money more than there are others. Yes, I know that that's true. But the reality is I have been around long enough to, to understand that it's both the haves and the have-nots who have a lot of craving for money. It's one form. It's maybe the entitlement. Is that familiar to anybody? There's people that want that. There's also people, in fact, who want to buy lottery money. Why do they buy lottery money? Because they think they can get what? A whole lot of money back. Lawsuits. Lawsuits are so much about what? Money. They're not going to get a loved one back, but they can sure get what? Money. It blinds us. We, what we have in common with Judas is how that craving blinds us to reality. Like all the other disciples, you find in Scripture they had the same mentality. He, in fact, was probably fantasized about how Jesus' kingdom on earth would be set up. And, of course, because he was a treasurer of this, he was going to be the secretary treasurer of this kingdom. And he was going to handle so much money. He could just imagine him with that kind of power of what could I get out of this? But there was something strange going on. 
Jesus did not assert himself as Judas thought, as the other disciples thought. He wasn't asserting himself to take the throne. So probably with good intention, probably in his mind, he had convinced himself with good intentions, Judas bought in to Satan's scheme of trying to force Jesus to use his own power to take the throne. Isn't that what he tried to get Jesus to do in the early temptations? Turn the stone into bread. Use your power for your own gain. And Satan was still trying to do the very same thing to Jesus. And Judas bought into that. And if I can just force Jesus to assert his powers, become king, everything is going to be great, and he's going to do what he is destined to do to be king. Plus, Judas thought, I can get 30 pieces of silver in the... As I do it, in the process of it all, I'm going to get rich at this. Just, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good little, little piece for helping Jesus get to where he wants to go or where he says he's going. But I find very interesting that Judas's strategy failed. And as soon as he saw his strategy was not working, And that Jesus was condemned to die. You look at it in scripture. You'll study it out. You find as soon as he did that, he saw that, suddenly his extra money lost its glitter. It lost its appeal. And he was so, in fact, so defeated, so sad about what he had done. He had allowed himself to be so blind. He was so overwhelmed with it that instead of seeking forgiveness... Matthew 27, it should read 27 in your notes rather than two. Matthew 27 says, Judas threw the silver coins down. And what happened? He went out and hung himself. Why? Because money had blinded him. He said, I'm getting rid of this. I can't do that. Here's my point that I want to make. Judas's injustice. Though blind as it was, Judas's injustice, his choice did not stop God's plan at all. Can you say praise God for that? Let's look at another aspect, vengeance. Vengeance blinded the Jewish Supreme Court from justice. When I was a a young guy growing up, uh, I, I found that lying doesn't taste good. Those of you about my age maybe can remember, but whenever I lied, I got my mouth washed out with soap. And, and, whenever, and whenever I heard somebody say a swear word and I came home and I tried it at home, I got my mouth washed out. So saying naughty words was never something that appealed to me because it didn't really taste good. Now, it's in this context that I want to say this. I remember as a child with that in my mind and my value system at that time because it didn't taste good. I went, well, let me back up. We found a library book that I had checked out of the library a year earlier. And I'd lost it. You remember the public library, checked it out. And so when we found it, 
well, it's easy to forget it. But my dad was, was uh, we need to take this back. So we took it back, found out that the, the penalty for it was worth more than the book. Can you, especially if it's a child's book, you know, okay. But here's what just blew me out of the water. That's why I still remember it so vividly today. My dad lied to the librarian about what had happened so that he wouldn't have to pay the fine. Now you think, that's not a really big thing. And it really maybe isn't. That's not my point. There was somebody watching him, his son. And that was a moment in my life that my respect, my high regard for my father's integrity just crumbled. Can you relate to what I'm saying? You hold it up here, you're doing right, and then you do something like this and saying, oh, what just happened? Now, in that context, in that picture, that contrast, that double-mindedness, double that double standard, if you please, the Jewish leaders had went straight from just convicting Jesus on a very, very unjust, grossly unjust trial. He, they went from there to the governor's uh, fortress, the Antonia. When, he got, when they got there, now they got very religious and very holy, okay? How do I know that? Because what happens, the Jews felt it was not right. In fact, if they went into a Gentile's living quarters or any Gentile place like that, they were unclean, <clears throat> excuse me, they would be defiled. And I want you to notice what happened in John 18, verses 28 and 29. When they got there, these pious guys who had just been so corrupt in having a trial that they just had, they didn't go inside because why? It would what? Defile them. Can you get a picture of this? These holy guys... Now, standing in front of there, they wouldn't go in because if they were defiled, they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover, which was the greatest Jewish holiday. So, do you see that, that double standard there? After all the unfairness that Jesus had just received, I, I don't know all was going through his mind. I can only relate to a little bit. But it, after they went through all this, Injust, corrupt, sinful thing that they were doing, and now they show up and act so pious at this time. I'll tell you what, if I'd have been Jesus, my blood pressure would have just went. How about you? What in the world? Such a huge double standard. If you look at all of this passage, all of those passages there, you find that. Jesus was tried a total of six, maybe seven, depending on whether you want to count the trial with the, with the soldiers. But he at least six different trials in a matter of six hours. And even though each of the Roman trials found him not guilty, yet instead the Jews wanted him Crucified. You're getting this contrast here. Vengeance of those Jews were just saying, no, kill this guy. But hear me, 
all of their injustice did not stop God's holy plan of paying for your sins. That is awesome. That is worth praising God for. When you look at it from that perspective. Let me look at one other thing. Power. Power blinded Pilate to justice. After Jesus was taken to Pilate, Pilate questioned him. He interrogated Jesus. And then it says in Luke 23, verse 4, Then Pilate said to the chief priests and to the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. Get that. This is right, right up front. I find this guy is not guilty. He didn't have to prolong a discussion with the Jewish people. That wasn't what that was about. But he said that. But he was also thinking in the back of his mind, you know what? These Jewish people are big power brokers in the people that I have to control. I have to work with. I have to manage these people. And he needed that power of influence over these guys in order to keep his position. He needed that. And that desire, that need, that cry for power blinded him to do what was just. Instead of saying, look, he's not guilty, get out of here. He didn't do that. He kept trying to convince them that he was right and they were wrong. He watched every opportunity and it shows his conscience was saying this isn't right. He watched for every opportunity to get out of doing what those Jews wanted him to do. And in Luke chapter 23, verse 7, it says, When he learned of what all that, that uh, was going on, then he learned that Herod, who was like a uh, governor of a, a nearby state, we could put it in that language, he, when he found out that Jesus was really in that governor's jurisdiction, he asked Herod to come and you now try him. So he sent him over to Herod, who happened to be in Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod grilled Jesus, looking forward to visiting with Jesus, and Jesus really didn't respond very much to him, but when that got done, Pilate, he came back to Pilate. Here's what, he, here's what Pilate told the crowd. He, he announced the verdict again. You brought this man to me, accusing him of leading a revolt. He says, I have examined him thoroughly on this point. I have checked it out in your presence, and I find him innocent. But not only that, he said, Herod did the same trial in his way, and he came to the same conclusion. And he sent him back to us. And then he said those powerful words. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty. Now, wouldn't that be enough? No, they still clamored. No, crucify him. So what Pilate did then, he kept trying. He now tried to compromise with them. He says, look, I'll beat Jesus. I'll have Jesus beaten, beaten to a pulp. I'll, I'll, I'll have him beaten. And then I'll tell you what. 
I'll give you a choice. He picked out Barabbas, who was known to be, and if we can put it in our world, this guy in town would be the, the most violent sex offender. He would be the worst criminal thief. He was, he was violent, beating people up. He was that kind of a guy. He says, I will put this guy in front of them and Jesus, and they will, in fact, choose Jesus because they don't want to have one of these guys running around. So he says, I'll beat him and then give you a choice of who I'll release. And what did they cry? Kill him and release Barabbas. That noise, that voice together, they cried out. And then I find a couple of verses later, it says Pilate argued with them. Now, what is that saying? Why would Pilate keep pressing? Why would he keep doing this? He knew that Jesus was innocent. Pilate argued with him because why? He wanted to release Jesus. Why didn't he just do it? That need in him was so great. Power was so strong in his life. In verse 23, or verse 22, chapter 23, it says then, he says, the third time, Pilate demanded, why? What crime has he committed? Why is it? Why you keep coming back? Why won't you give up? Why don't you see that the man's innocent? He said, I find no reason to sentence him to death. So I will have him flogged. I'll just do that. And then I will release him. But what did they do? Shouted all the louder. Isn't that right? Now, where's justice in this whole thing? Where's justice? It's somehow gotten lost. Pilate could have said, you know, it's over. You guys, listen, I got an army here. They're bigger than you guys. He's innocent. Get out of here. But he didn't. You see, are there times in your life when you've had money that's blinded you from justice or truth or what is right? You want that so much. I can get an extra buck out of this. Or vengeance. You know, that guy did me wrong. I'm going to get that guy back. I'm going to get that woman back. Or that need for power, authority. I can do this. Has that ever blinded you? As it did Pilate? As it did the others? In Matthew 27, verse 24, a couple of verses later, Pilate saw that he was getting, he was not getting anywhere. So instead of a riot breaking out, political pressure, do you see how that, that politics fits into this? Pilate decided, okay, he took some water and I'm going to symbolically make a statement. I'll wash my hands in front of the crowd. And then he said, I will not be guilty of killing this man. He's innocent. Do whatever you want. There's where he flipped over and let them do whatever they wanted. Now, I'm going to ask you this. If you were in court and you had that kind of justice treated, uh, treating you, or if your child was being arrested and he was standing in court and it was a death penalty on this... Or maybe it was one of your friends. 
that, that had this kind of a trial, this unjust thing, how would you feel if that judge declared your child, your friend, or you guilty when all that guilty was, was based on was total injustice? How would you feel? Would you feel angry? Would you feel, this is not fair? I'm not going to stand for this. You can get mad. How would you respond? Here's the diamond on that black velvet of all of that corruption, that injustice. Jesus never cried foul. Jesus knew what pure justice was. He had related to the Father. There was a connection between him and God. He knew what it was. But Jesus never fought back. In fact, if you look at Jesus' life, he didn't blame anybody, did he? He He didn't get angry and take vengeance or fight back or wrestle or do, he didn't do anything. They didn't have to, they didn't have to bind him and change just to keep him from beating on them. He, he didn't even pout. How would you feel when you were facing that kind of injustice? Would you at least pout? Instead, what did he do? Please catch this. this is very important. He focused on his passion for his heavenly father. He loved his father more than anything else. And he wanted to do what his father's will was. And that passion inside of him enabled him to stand nobly and just remain quiet, totally silent almost in the face of all this injustice against all that was he was facing. I don't know about you, but that is a powerful model for us. Would you agree? You would say, well, that was Jesus. That was, I mean, after all, he's God. No, no, wait, 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 wait. The Bible says when he lived on earth, he laid aside all the divine attributes and he walked this earth just like you and I with the same humanity, the same feelings inside. That's who he was. What a model. Prior, prior to Pilate becoming the governor, prior to that point, he was a hardened soldier. I mean, nothing was going to move him. His emotions had been shut down. It was this. And yet I find so incredibly inspiring that Mark chapter 15, verse 5 says this. Pilate was, what's the next word? Would you be amazed if you watched that? Whoa. He was amazed at his ability to stand silent when he knew truth. He knew justice. He had the right attitude instead of being ugly. Just stood there. Do what you got to do, guys. I find this so incredible. After Pilate brought him back out after he was been beaten and emaciated in that sense. Pilate said some words that just they're powerful to me. He said in John chapter 19 verse 5 he looked at Jesus and he says behold what's the next words? The man. 
I don't know how that strikes you, but what strikes me is Pilate was saying to these guys, you know what, you Jews, you think you're so great. You think you're a man. I think I'm a man. I think, but let me tell you, now there is a real man. That guy could stand and take anything we dished out. That is a real man. Do you realize that only 18 hours, about 18 hours passed from when he had been praying in the garden until he drew his last breath on the cross? How many hours? 18 hours. How could a person be rushed through all of that and idly sit there and face that injustice without fighting back and being angry? That's, that's amazing. He did that because why? It took him about three hours of prayer in the garden when he determined, Father, not my will, but... He had to pray that three times. And it took him an hour each shot. How many of you wrestled a little bit with that, not my will, but thy will? But after he made that commitment, he was fully committed. He was all in. What happened? He was now able to see in his humanity, he was able to see from God's perspective. And everything looked different. The Holy Spirit empowered him to be able to face the worst cruelties. To be able to face all that junk of injustice. None of us like it. But he was able to do that. And I'm reminded of what Hebrews says about that. It says, who for the joy that was set before him. He saw it from God's eyes. He says, who for the what? Joy that was set before him. He did what? Endured the cross and he despised the shame. And he is what? Now, get that word. Get that word. He's now where? Seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Why? Because as he walked through it, he was looking on something higher than himself, higher than the injustice, higher than all of that garbage he was facing. Reminded of another man by the name of Stephen, a deacon in the early church of Jerusalem. He faced injustice in a similar way, not as gross, but nevertheless in a very similar way. And they were taking him out to stone him to death. And I want you to see how another human being faced that same kind of injustice. The scripture says that Stephen, as this was going on, he gazed steadily where? Got his eyes on the right thing. You can see it differently through God's eyes. And he saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus what? 
Oh, I thought he was sitting. Did you catch that? He was what? Standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And so he told the crowd, he told those people that were going to kill him, to stone him. He says, look, I see the heavens open and I see the Son of Man. Where? Standing. Where was he before? Seated. Standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Why do you think Jesus was now standing? I can't help but think of Jesus who's touched how we feel. He's touched with our infirmities, the scripture says. I can't help but think when he saw Stephen going through that, he remembered how he faced injustice. And he stands up eager to see how Stephen. was going to respond to his injustice. I can't help but think he was cheering him on. Stephen, you can do it. Keep your eyes on us. You can do it. I ask you, what does all this teach us about authentic servanthood to God? What does it reveal about a God who has both the sovereign authority and the power to change things? He could have done anything. He could have called down 12 legions of angels to protect him. It wasn't that he couldn't do something. In your life, it's not that he can't intervene because not only does he have the power and not only does he have the authority, the sovereign authority, he also has the wisdom to have a greater plan that will turn out to be something far greater than you can imagine than just giving you justice or me justice. You see, God had something else in mind for Jesus and he may have something else in mind for you. Does that mean that you just always need to be just walked on? No, there's going to be some times when God says to you, no, you stand up and I'll be with you. But more often than not, we're the ones that are going to take things into our own hands. So what does it say about your commitment to God when you stop being God's humble servant and you take things into your own hands and you try to force that person who you feel has abused you, has treated you unjustly, when you take things into your own hands and try to force that person to treat you fairly? I want you to think about this. You and I would not have salvation today if Jesus would have demanded and have been given true justice in man's eyes. Am I right? Do you think that just maybe God may be using some form of injustice in your life to bring about something in someone who's watching you, to bring about a change, to bring about something greater than what you could do by yourself. 
Sometimes we look at the physical part of Jesus and we think, oh, look what he went through. He got all that beating and he died on the cross. We look at the physical part of what Jesus endured and we say, oh, that was terrible. And it was. And I don't want to take away from that at all. But I want you to remember this. There was some other agony that he went through before he ever took that. What he faced. He also endured temptation, severe, intense temptation. He also endured Rejection. He also endured that injustice where we're talking about today. And he did it with stunning poise. Where do you stand up in that situation? Remember this. He, our God, that same power that empowered Jesus to go through that will also empower you when you simply let him be the ruler of your life. Instead of you trying to control it yourself. And when you submit to him and you say, God, you're my king. If you will focus on him and care more about what he thinks than what you think or feel. You know what? He'll, you'll find that same power to go through it that Stephen had. And of course, Jesus. You can face the rejection. You can face injustice. You can face all that stuff. When you see it that way. Is that the kind of man you or woman you want to be? To be able to have that kind of power inside of you? That is what God is wanting to give you. If you're sensing today something inside of you saying, I want to have that kind of life. I want to have be that kind of character of a person. I can't do that on my own. I know I need help. Listen, it's just a prayer away. To submit to yourself, yourself to God, to let him be the king of your life instead of you. And if you sense there's something inside of you that says, I'm not that kind of person, but I want to be. If that is something inside of you that's saying that to you, please listen to me. That is the Holy Spirit speaking to you. That's not me. That's the Holy Spirit. And I challenge you today to respond to what he's saying to you. Whether that be in praying with someone in the back, praying at an altar, whatever it is, don't ignore, don't waste this opportunity because he, God, is speaking to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We think that we can do so much. We think we can handle it. When there's something going on, we think, well, they're unjust. I'll make them be just. When in fact, all we're doing is violating what a true servant of God is. Unless, of course, you've told us to stand up. You are watching, just just like you stood up to watch Stephen. You're watching our lives to see how we are going to respond when we feel like we're being unjustly treated. God, I ask you to speak to us in such a way today that our lives will be changed from this moment forward. I ask, You do this in Jesus, your name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship. But I challenge you.
I challenge you, respond to what God may be saying to you through all this.